Hi folks, I'm Mark Fallows and this is the Impossible Network Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on iTunes or your favourite podcast player. And please leave a rating and a review because it helps more people find us. If you want to find out more of what we get up to, or suggest who we interview next, follow us on Instagram at The Impossible Network, or visit theimpossiblenetwork.com. Okay, let's get started. What we've created as a society is that we have these ideas, but then the idea is the first, and then the second thing we do is, why is it going to fail? And we start, before we've even really explored that idea, right away we're thinking of all the ways that it's going to go wrong. And people are scared to be creative because they don't want to be criticized and they don't want to fail and they don't want to be wrong. But I think that you can't possibly succeed without taking that risk and letting your creativity really shine. And unfortunately, our education system is really cramping creativity. In part two, we get more into curiosity, creativity, education, passion, principles, and all our quick-fire questions. I hope you enjoy this enlightening insight into Elena's fitness class for the mind. Talk to me about curiosity. How does curiosity, has it contributed to your success and what you're doing? And is, and is it something that you continue to cultivate? I think for me, curiosity is everything because it's what gets me up in the morning and the reason that I've made these different career changes and had the courage to do it is really curiosity and thinking well what if Mm -hmm. right because there's so much potential in the world and I think that each of us has so much potential and it's curious to see how you can unlock your own and unlock the potential of others. Is it something you talk to the people that attend these courses about the importance of it? I think that curiosity underlies all of our workshops. We don't specifically talk about it, but it's curiosity of yourself to understand, again, what are you good at? What could use improvement? What are things that you don't even, concepts you don't even know exist that could really help you as a manager, as a a person in any relationship, in your personal and professional relationships. Just curiosity of what are your thinking styles? What are your listening styles? Things like that that you probably don't even know about yourself. And I think that those are fascinating. I think in general, people love personality tests. Like anyone that you ask, what's your Myers-Briggs? Everyone knows what it is because you want to be able to learn about yourself and see how you fit in and function in the world. And that's curiosity is really underlying that. What impact have you observed from the organizations that have gone through your your course? I think that because people are more self-aware, they're able to, even if they don't necessarily do everything that we tell them, they become more curious and more open-minded about all of the small things that they could do. And it's always very empowering when you see people who are at the beginning of the workshop completely closed off to it, especially mindfulness. You see this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, because especially mindfulness is something that gets misinterpreted a lot. And you tell people, we're going to make you speak to each other because micro connections are really important. And we are going to ask you to do a mindfulness practice. And people get nervous 
they don't know necessarily what to expect. They're really new to it. And what's amazing is when they come out of it and they say, I can really use that. And then they do. They really use it in their lives. And that's why coaching, I think, is important is to sustain what they learn in the workshop. Because oftentimes, if an organization just brings us in for a one-time event, as much as I hope people get something out of it, I also worry how they're going to keep up with it. So I always try to give them reading materials and take home assignments so that they can continue to cultivate these practices. How does creativity manifest itself in the work you do? I think it's about giving people permission to be creative. Because oftentimes we have this fear of failure and that really creates an environment where people are too scared to take a chance. And I think Brene Brown talks about this a lot, right? The fear of vulnerability. Yeah. And if you think that you have a creative idea, but your team is going to laugh at you and tell you it's silly and no one wants to buy that product, what we've created as a society is that we have these ideas, but then the idea is the first. And then the second thing we do is why is it going to fail? And we start before we've even really explored that idea right away. We're thinking of all the ways that it's going to go wrong. And people are scared to be creative because they don't want to be criticized and they don't want to fail and they don't want to be wrong. But I think that you can't possibly succeed without taking that risk and letting your creativity really shine. And unfortunately, our education system is really cramping creativity. There's a lot of research on that too. I think um, so, uh, George Land was once hired by NASA to create the imaginative test, which was a hiring tool for scientists and engineers that NASA was using. And he decided to give it to a bunch of kids. And the kids all scored like 98% on imaginative genius level and then they thought that was really interesting so they created a longitudinal study out of this so they went back to the same kids i think it was like 1600 kids at age five were 98 percent creative geniuses by age 10 it was something like 30 percent and then by age 15 it was like 12 percent mm. it goes back to ken robinson's exactly that's right that was educated that us. is one of the best best ted talks and i agree with it so much because it's true mm. that we are taught to color in the lines. Yeah, I think it, it lies at the heart of everything we've, the mistakes we've made, but it's also at the core of what the changes we have to make to go forward yeah. to if we're going to survive and thrive in a world where artificial intelligence and machine learning are becoming more pervasive, that it is our creativity and our curiosity that will define our humanity. Absolutely, and I think that most of the statistics now show that creativity is the number one skill that all employers are mm -hmm. looking for and trying to devise how can they test for it. And it's really hard to test for because it's not, it doesn't really have to do with IQ at all. So people are trying to devise tests about creativity, measuring it. I mean, because I've come from an advertising background, creativity is usually, I mean, I, we always used to say that creativity isn't the domain of the creative department. Everyone has to be creative in their own particular way. It's quite hard when you start to think about creativity in other industries. How do you 
interview for it? How do you measure it in a in a standardized way with, for if you're an employer? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's some of those interview techniques that people do is, well, what can you do with a brick? And what can you do with that water bottle? And how can you see it through a child's eyes that maybe you've never seen a brick before? And if you just say, oh, I can build a house, and then you stop there. But why? You can do so many things with it, with any object that we see. And it's, it's also something that you can cultivate. It's just asking yourself these divergent thinking techniques. What are, how, can a how does a child see the world? Which is why it's so interesting to watch a child unwrap presents. They, oh, they're making rocket ships out of the boxes without even paying attention to the doll that's inside because they haven't been socialized out of thinking that they're doing something wrong. They're just playing and the play creates possibility. And we think, oh, well, we can't start playing with the box because everyone's going to think that we're doing something silly. That's, that's very true. Yeah. As a term... I used uh, quite a few times in the podcast. It's a Japanese term. Ikagi. It's the intersection of what you're good at with what you love. Is this you? I can finally say that it is. For a long time Yay. in my professional <laughs> career, oh, it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really a gift to be able to say that you get to be good at and do what you love and what you're passionate and about. what you're passionate about but it's really not a given mm. i need to be socializing and meeting people and being able to deliver a message that i'm passionate about and i found a way to do that now but i think it's very unfortunate when people are in jobs that are just not suited for their strengths and hopefully they are in an organization where they c there's internal mobility and they could perhaps go into a different department. Oftentimes people think that they just have to abandon everything that they're doing, but there are ways to still do wait, keep your profession, but maybe find a different department, a different way that you can express yourself and... You know, Google always lets people, it's like 10% of your time that you could spend on projects that you're really passionate about. Even in the law, you can spend a portion of your time doing pro bono work. So there's always an opportunity to, if you're willing to work for it, to find things that you really love to do. There's a quote we've used on setbacks. It's not circumstances that define you, it's your response to them. What response to a set of circumstances has been pivotal in your life? So I think this goes back to what we talked about, that you know, 10% of your happiness is due to your circumstances. Mm -hmm. And they've done research with cancer patients, right? To say that people find out that they're sick and they're able to bounce back. And they've had even research with lottery winners where you would think that they'd be happy all the time, but actually that's very fleeting. Yeah. And so it's really not your circumstances. It's completely your response to those circumstances. And I think for me... You should be working with the New York State Lottery. <laughs> there you go. That's a new client. Go get them. <laughs> exactly, right? You. What is it that if you, if you don't play, you, nice you can't retainer. play, you can't play. If you don't play, you can't win or yeah. something like that. <laughs> 
but that's true in life right yeah. you you can't win in life if you don't play and i think that is where resilience comes in that you have to be able to bounce back and say this isn't working but that's okay and it's not a failure so maybe i was not going to be the best lawyer and i could have just said well Maybe I'm going to stay and not be the best at this or and be miserable about it. But I was able to use that background to do something else. And now we actually go to law firms and we talk to lawyers about how can you be a happy lawyer and what does that mean and what kind of techniques can you use specifically in a legal context. It's really interesting because some of those classes we are able to offer a continuing legal education credit because I'm a lawyer. And if I wasn't a lawyer, then I wouldn't be able to offer those CLE credits. So it always comes full circle. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. We consider education as a key to positive change in society. If you were handed the keys to the White House, what would you start to do? Or what key changes would you make to the education system to make an immediate improvement on the future opportunities for youth? Well... Imagining that the Oval Office gets evacuated. <laughs> Start there. <laughs> let's just say let's just let's just say you'd written a five year letter to yourself and that you find yourself sitting in that, that, that nice chair in the White House and so I look at, I compare the kind of education that I had, which was very rigid, which was you memorize and you regurgitate and you respond with the kind of education that I see in some of these elite schools in Manhattan that are taking a very different approach. And it's really inspiring, but unfortunately, there's only very few schools that are, take, that are able to do this. But for example, when, you, when they test, instead of saying that everybody has to do has to respond to these 10 questions on the test. They say, how would you like to explain to us that you've learned something? So if we're doing a project on the Brooklyn Bridge, instead of everyone taking a test, mm -hmm. somebody says, well, I'm really interested in the architect of the Brooklyn mm -hmm. Bridge, so I'm going to write a report on the architect. Somebody else says, I'm really interested in how many cars are able to go on the Brooklyn Bridge every day. And so they devise an algorithm where they stand maybe for an hour and they say how many cars, and then they multiply that by the amount of hours and the traffic, and they figure out what's, you know, every week how many. So that's really interesting. So that's actually tapping into the natural curiosity yes. of the child at an early age and helping them develop that natural instinct or yes that their creative focus that's fascinating so i think that if there's an approach where instead of everyone just taking the same test we actually see what are you interested in and make the child decide mm -hmm. how they're going to present the information that's going to really get them in the flow and get them engaged because it's something that they haven't been forced to do or told to do, but it comes from within. And so you have this concept of intrinsic motivation instead of extrinsic motivation of just getting a grade. I also think that grades are not very helpful. And oftentimes I know that when I was a student, I, you know, I cared about getting that A. And sometimes you memorize, you get the A and you forget everything. So oftentimes just pass fail. Maybe this is something that parents could embrace. So sort of rather than, I mean, the, the wholesale change of the education system is maybe a big ask, but to start to arm parents with techniques like that, even if they can't afford the schools and give them resources, maybe that's something you should consider for your, <laughs> your website. I will consider it. Yeah. Okay, we're going to get into the quick of our questions. 
you talked about values. We call them principles. What principles do you stand by? Well, we talked about this a little bit already. For me, it's really been about freedom and growth yes. and love. Because I think I, I couldn't function without those things. And freedom is freedom to be yourself, freedom to be creative, freedom to make your own decisions, freedom to live your life as you want to. And growth, for me, that's always key because you can never stop learning and growing. And when you do, I think that that becomes really sad and people feel really frustrated. And a lot of the depression probably comes from not having an opportunity for growth in their professional lives if they feel really stifled. And love because we all need love and people forget that and we need love at work. There's research that shows that if you have a best friend at work, you're three times more productive because you have someone there who's who's there for you. And when you come in and you have to do a project, wouldn't you rather do that with somebody that you're having a good time with and that you enjoy spending time with than somebody that you are like, oh no, I have to work with this person right now. The, just think of the quality of the project. Yeah, and the energy levels. And the energy. And so just giving people more opportunity to, to just love each other and say that compassion is, it's okay and it's encouraged and not just say that this is a professional setting and we, we, we don't act that way, yeah. so. That's lovely. What hard choices have you had to make that might have been tough at the time but turned out to be the right decision in the end? The hardest thing for me over the past few years has really been balancing motherhood with work. And I think most moms with young kids struggle with this because no matter what positive psychology I tell myself, mom guilt is real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm definitely very intentional about it. And I write letters to my daughter and to myself about all the things that you know I wanna be as a mom. But at, so at some point it comes down to the amount of hours that yeah. some you are missing certain ballet recitals because you're doing something that is important to you. But I decided that it's important for me to set the right example for my kids, the way that I watched my mom and she worked really hard and I respected her for it and it gave me a sense of drive. So I'd like to give that to my kids. But it's always very difficult because you can't necessarily do everything. But I think Sheryl Sandberg said this in her book, Lean In, where she said that you can't you can have everything. You just can't have it at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really true, that you have to figure out what's really important for you now. And then maybe that changes in a few years. But it's it's for working moms. I think it's always a struggle. Okay. Where do you go to discover new ideas? Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes the best ideas come in the most unexpected places. I'm very much a physical person, so I really like exercise and sports. And so sometimes when I know that I would like to clear my head and get a really good idea, I go for a really good workout. And I'm gonna give a shout out to Taryn Toomey because she created this, it's called The Class. And I think it's just the best thing ever because it's very psychologically based. And even though it's a very hard physical workout, most of it is about dealing with your process and dealing with yourself and getting out of your own way. And it's really powerful. So I often 
people go there for good ideas. Where is but, uh, So she has a studio in Tribeca and they do this once a week pop up on the Upper East Side where I live. And so I, I try to get over there. But it's it's really very unique and interesting. And and I love to read. So I read as, as much as I can. And um, I think that there are so many brilliant people, especially in this space where all this is this is the space of humanity and we're all very interested in it. So there's a lot of great minds writing a lot of really amazing things. What's your perspective on failure? Oh, failure is great. I love failure because without failure, you don't learn, right? Failure is growth. Who have you met that's most surprised you? That's most surprised me. I don't know. I don't I don't get surprised very much because I think I'm a very pragmatic person. Okay. Then in that <laughs> case, who's made you reevaluate yourself? These are good questions. My husband makes me reevaluate myself a lot. Mm. He's very thoughtful, shockingly thoughtful. And he always asks the hard questions. And whenever I come up with a crazy new idea, he really makes me think through it. So I'm very grateful to his crazy brain for making me reevaluate myself on a regular basis. That's good. How do you keep up with technology? I try to avoid it, really. I... But I don't, I don't crave it. That's the interesting thing that I've, I've read so much about how all the negative effects that it has on you. And it just, it doesn't draw me in. And maybe I'll watch like one hour of TV a week just because to spend time with my husband. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, but I, I don't really use Instagram. I've, I've tried to use it for professional reasons and I struggle a lot with it because I don't like it personally and I think it's nice to be able to reach people but at the same time I really just want my Instagram to say don't look at my profile get off Instagram <laughs> go do something else more interesting. There used to be a there used to be a TV series. A bit. I grew up in the UK, and there was a TV series on the BBC called "Why Don't You Turn Off Your Television Set and Go Out and Do Something More Interesting Instead." And it was all about giving you the things to do or your yeah. kids to do that were more interesting than watching the television. So it was a, a one-hour program every week with the sole intention of making you finish that, that and turn it off the turn. <laughs> so I think we need to get one similar one of those for Instagram. I love that. That would be great. But, you know, and I, I'm very honest, even though my kids are four and five, I say to them, when you're playing outside or playing with anything and you're touching and you're feeling and you're sensing and you're deciding what can this be that it's not, you are growing as mm -hmm. a person your mind is growing neuroplasticity you're evolving when you're watching tv nothing is happening you are just dumbing yourself down yeah. and i feel that way when i watch tv that i feel someone's trying to sell me something and i don't like it and i i i don't i just i don't enjoy it honestly and i'm really concerned about what social media does especially for young girls with body image and with popularity and with comp and comparing yourself to things that are photoshopped and not real and yeah, thinking totally. you have to live up to something that just doesn't really even exist and that really worries me 
we added this question not long ago, which is what recent Netflix or Amazon series would you oh, yeah. have watched and, and recommended? But maybe that's not relevant for you. Well, I'll tell you the one, the one okay. that I actually watch. My, I said I do one hour a yeah. week and my one hour has been Big Little Lies. Oh, I've heard I, about that. I that really like people, it. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's dark and twisted <laughs> and it's really great because it's, you know, it's a human experiment because it's it's who can you relate to? And they're all pretty dark and twisted. So you find that dark and twisted part of yourself that somehow relates to one of these characters. And it's it's very thought-provoking. So I do enjoy okay. that one. Good. What's your go-to karaoke song? Oh, I can't sing. I have the... It's just... It's <laughs> oh, so bad. Oh, don't worry. You don't have to be, but, I can't sing either, but it doesn't stop me. And and I mean, now it's it's probably frozen because I, I have course, a four-year-old kids, yeah. daughter. So we, we you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> It's frozen all day long. Frozen duets. (laughs) The impossible question. What would your advice be to someone just about to graduate, go study, that might have a dream and ambition, a goal um, that's been told, forget it, it's impossible? Well, nothing's impossible, right? I think you always have to try. And we always regret the things that we don't do much more than the things that we do. And if we fail, we just said that failure means growth. And maybe you're... If it's, it's not going to work, then it's going to evolve into something else. And it's about the process. And I asked myself this question. I said, what if I, quote unquote, fail with light up? Would I still want to do it? And I said, of course, I'd still want to do it because the learning process and the trying is what makes you who you are. Mm-hmm. And so it's not even so much about the end result. It's about your day-to-day experience of doing something that you're passionate about. See, that sort of goes back just to contextualize why we like to explore serendipity is that we are, we're all on a journey. We're all going down a road. It's either the road that everyone has pushed down, the law, the medicine, the whatever that most of lot you say immigrants take, or you go down the road less traveled where you embrace a certain element of risk. You welcome the potential for failure. You embrace the fear. You take the actions required. You grow, you learn, you progress. You might fail. You might be taken down a different path. It might not be what you set out originally. But where you end up at some point in life, you're more likely through what we call a serendipitous encounter, a situation, a relationship that takes you to where you need to be rather than where you're conditioned to be. And that's at the heart of what we're doing. It's funny because I think when you're on the right path, the universe, whatever you want to call it, brings you things. Things happen easier. And I've noticed that, that when I started on this journey, which I was a complete newcomer to psychology and this all seemed to come out of nowhere and people were like, how did you just invent (laughs) this career for yourself? And, but everything just felt so right. And then I would meet all the right people and the jobs would come and it all just completely made sense because the universe gives you support when you are on your right path. And good intentions. I think so. Final two questions. What book would you like us to offer uh, the three listeners that submit the best comments in the comment section or on Instagram <laughs> when they get off it later. So many good ones yeah, <laughs> these days. They're only asking for one. Give me a couple. 
Well, I'll give you the one that I'm reading now because I really like it. And it's called um, Primal Leadership. But, the, but it's basically all about culture and leadership and all the things that we talked about today and how green juices and yoga is not the answer because mm. I think that oftentimes employers just think that they're going to give people some nice th things and that's going to make them productive and happy. And I think that's a really important point maybe that we didn't touch on today is that those superficial green juices and, and yoga things, they do nothing. Yeah, and that people, true. there are plenty of studies to show that people would even forego having a raise to being in a supportive and happy work environment. And I think that when employers are really allocating those funds and they're deciding what they should do with them and should they kind of have these superficial perks, they really should know the research that that doesn't solve much. Very true. Who should we interview next? Oh, second book. You said two. Oh, I love everything Brene Brown. Yeah. Really anything. Okay. <laughs> All right, we'll do that. Dare to lead. It's a good one. Who should we interview next? Well... I'm going to say uh, Lori Santos, who is a professor at Yale, and she's really the way that I discovered positive psychology, and I think the way that a lot of people discovered positive psychology, because she created the most popular class at Yale, and she called it the science of well-being, and that's really what got it on the map, and got it into kind of popular media because this class went from 10 students to being the most popular class ever at Yale with like thousands of students taking it every semester. And she was really able to bring this dense scientific research into a very accessible and interesting format that very type A stressed out Yale students were able to use in their life. And now companies are able to use this also because it's the same kind of profile, this overachieving profile of a person who is struggling and stressed and trying to do their best, not really sure what's going to lead to happiness and thriving. And I think that she was one of the kind of first people who popularized it in okay. this way, yeah. We might need a little connection or introduction if yeah. you know her. I don't know her personally, but I do know people who, who okay. know her. Well, we'll put her on the list and we'll, we'll say she came highly recommended. I think, um, I think she's, she, I've heard her speak at a couple of conferences mm -hmm. and she's, she's great. Well, the way things work out, we usually get to who we are meant to interview. Yeah. So. Just before I just wrap up, where do you think you'll be in 10 years time? Oh, I should do my, my visualization. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just because, you know, yeah. we've talked a bit about that. You must have a sense of where you want Light Up Lab to go or the impact for it to have. Yeah, I mean, we, I think I'm definitely on the right path now. And I want to just do more and more and more of what I'm already doing. And I think that there might be hopefully a book in the works. <laughs> And um, really just try to touch as many people as we can and, and expand. Okay. Well, um, we just usually do a little wrap up to say thank you for your time and to acknowledge you. So I acknowledge you for your, I think your optimism, 
that you probably bring to organizations and people about to make a happier environment because you're cracking that code. Um, your sense of freedom that comes across and feels quite infectious. I acknowledge you for that. And I think my observation of you that you're this instigator or change maker that is agitating organizations to change in the direction that they need to because you're doing it at a level as you say not at leadership but at, an, at a, a lower level from the ground up mm-hmm. and I think that's the way that you agitate for change because you're empowering people to create intentionality in their lives and even change and leave the organizations because they probably do wake up and see their lives for in a way that they maybe haven't before so I acknowledge you for that and for unlocking probably the potential in people that's been dormant. So I wish you all the best with it and anything the Impossible Network can do to connect you to other people and organizations that we know, then we're always happy to do it. Thank you so much. This was so fun. And I'm gonna add one thing to this. I'm Mm. glad that you brought it up because you said, even if they have to leave an organization. Mm. And I think that's important for organizations to know too, because actually it's much cheaper for them to replace someone who is not doing a good job than to keep a disengaged employee who's not performing and to spend resources trying to train that person and to continue to invest in that person. Mm. And if somebody should leave, it's better for the organization to allow for that to happen. Yeah, the one thing, I totally agree, the one thing we didn't get a chance to talk about is just the more enlightened investors as well. I think we'll start to see the type of work you're doing as a key to creating competitive advantage. I was talking to someone today about how, if you look at Clayton Christensen's Innovator's Dilemma, that innovation comes through technology. I think innovation and disruption or disruption through technology, I think disruption is going to come increasingly through purpose-based brands and behaviors by rethinking how they give back. I think that's one component of it, a component of the future of disruption and innovation that gives opportunities for organizations to create competitive adv- advantage. I think the other is what you're doing. I think the inspired investor and leader will start to see that if you can unlock and supercharge teams through their productivity and their connectivity together, that's how you will actually sort of drive new ideas, new thinking, better organizational behaviors. And that's where growth and sustainability will come from, not from just making them work harder and doing functional training and inspiring them to be better embracing new technologies. The the way that digital transformation is at the core of the way organizations are thinking about innovation. This is probably more, has more potential to accelerate change than any digital transformational program. I completely agree with you. And if you look at companies like Zappos or Whole Foods or Southwest, where everybody wants to work because they're famous for having an amazing culture compared to people used to want to go into investment banking and law and now they see that they probably may struggle in those places and they are having a hard time recruiting so i think that that shift is happening mm-hmm. 
thankfully. Yeah. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed the our time together. Thank and you, me too. Yeah, and um, if people do want to follow you, obviously not on Instagram. <laughs> well, right now we <laughs> have an Instagram. We are the Light Up Lab yeah. on Instagram, so you can follow us. But lightuplab.com. And yes, lightuplab.com. Yeah, and that's enough. And LinkedIn, of course. And LinkedIn, yeah. that's and right. I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, perfect. All right, well, thank you very much. Thank you. Just go to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever podcast player you listen to subscribe and rate. And if you like the show, please give us a five-star rating as it helps more people discover us. If you want to learn more or have someone you'd like us to interview, just visit us at theimpossiblenetwork.com or DM us on Instagram at The Impossible Network. For now, be curious, be creative, and be open to serendipity. See you next time.